Welcome to the Grow Wealth Experience, where top business leaders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world help empower you to build your best financial life. Now, here's your host, Aisha Turgut. Welcome back to the Grow Wealth Podcast. Today, my goal for you is to have you think bigger and push yourself a little harder than yesterday. And to help you do that, I've invited a very special guest who's the epitome of mega success to our show today. And he's the one and only Nick Lowry, former NFL football player that was inducted into the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame in 2009 as the most accurate kicker in NFL history, the Chiefs' all-time leading scorer, and with the most field goals in NFL history when he retired. But that doesn't stop there. Nick transcends athletic stereotypes. In addition to being a Hall of Fame athlete, he's an Ivy League scholar, a three-time presidential aide, author, poet, teacher, philanthropist, and even a Wall Street stock draft champion. Nick has been featured on ABC's 2020, World News Tonight, Nightline, HBO, and The New York Times. With his Harvard Master's, Nick worked during his career in the off-seasons for President Reagan in drug abuse policy, President George Bush, and President Bill Clinton in the White House Office of National Service. He's here today joining us to share his stories, insights, and strategies to help you reach your peak potential and achieve levels of success you never thought you could. Welcome to the show, Nick. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if anybody's still awake after that long introduction, but thank you. I mean, it, it, I am proud of the things that you write about. And I will say, because I think as we get older, we realize that every choice in life as we move forward is one of uh, versus embracing the ego or embracing the spirit. And the ego does have a task-oriented function, but it, if we drift into comparison, we always find ourselves kind of uh, uh, unhappy. Uh, and so uh, I'm not ashamed of having you read that and listening to that because I want other people to hear what I'm doing and just say, what is it that God wants me to do? What is it in my purpose that is unique and aligned with my particular gifts that I don't even have to think twice about? I know I'm good at it. I love it. And um, I can use it to really channel God's spirit, my spirit, the Holy Spirit, wherever you are spiritually, uh, my greatest um, spiritual power to make the world a better place. Because all of us today, we are in a world war. We're in World War III. We are. World War III is a battle of the spirit. It's a battle of information. And uh, all of us have to do something to make sure we stay sane and we stay together. 85% of the people in this country are very normal <laughs> on both sides, right and left, are normal. They don't mind. They may not like it, but they don't mind paying taxes. They they in, embrace hard work. Uh, they embrace making a contribution, and they embrace tolerance. 
and are fully against racism. The other 15%, they can squabble and make a lot of noise, but we have to take our leadership role to just make sure that people, starting with ourselves, know we're okay. We are okay. We haven't changed. These are the things that will always be important. Fantastic. So are you saying that what keeps you motivated has changed over the years? Absolutely. I mean, I always felt having parents, and my father was chief of station for the CIA in London when I was 9, 10, 11. And then in Germany, he was one of the top two people in Germany in, in 68, 69, when Russia invaded Czechoslovakia, for those that remember history. And my mother was, uh, they both served in World War II. My mother was a senior intelligence officer who was sent in to document the death camps at the end of World War II, which was just... Uh, shocks me to think about what that was like and was actually sent to uh, question Hitler's record keepers in Minden and, and Berlin right after the war. And so service was always there. And one of my passions, as you read in the Office of National Service, the idea was whether it was H.W. Bush or Clinton, it was how do we make it easier? You don't have to serve in the military to serve your co community, to to further the John F. Kennedy inaugural uh, vision of asking not what your country can do for you, but what you can do. That transforms your life. You combine that with a sense of gratitude and miracles and angels will be part of your daily experience every single day. So how do we tap into that? How do we tap into gratitude and a willingness to serve? Well, uh, tapping into gratitude is sort of like uh, for an athlete, the best analogy is working out. Um, how do I get in shape spiritually? How do I get in shape in terms of attitude if I don't first have clear goals and if I don't regularly with discipline consistently show up and work out. In this case, it's every day I jump in my, it's not going to be cold for much longer, but for the last four months, my pool has been very cold here. I don't heat it intentionally <laughs> because I swim in my pool for five minutes, freezing cold, wakes me up, and then i I meditate on what I have to be grateful for, and I, I and I grateful for my family, grateful for my friends, grateful for the life and the health that I have. Whatever those things are, you know, all of those things put us in a very different biochemical place in our brain that sustains where we're going. And so, the idea of being intentional starts with being congruent in between words and actions. So, if you're asking how to be grateful, think about the things you have to be grateful for. You know, maybe you had bad parents. Well, did you have someone that said, even though you don't have bad parents, I'm here for you? Did you have a great teacher that said, even though you don't get it, I'm going to stick with you to graduate, uh, you know, uh, even though you're not good at math or science or, or uh, English or whatever that might be? Did you have a mentor who said, every time you get back up, you're going to be okay, never give up? Um, all of us have people in our lives that have helped us uh, tap into our best selves. And uh, so gratitude is a big part of it. Absolutely. And then service is part of that. It's saying, I know I can impact others. And that's truly not just service. It's our power. It's our divine power to make a difference. And who were your mentors that helped shape you oh. as a human being? Well, I have been spoiled beyond recognition, uh, starting with great parents. I mean, my parents were married for, for 57 years. They passed wow. away. Um, let's see. They passed away 16 years ago. Gosh, it's hard to believe. And uh, Time do does go ago. by fast. Yeah. 
but my parents were uh, wonderful. My dad, I didn't have the kind of father that, you know, pushed me per se. He was in the stands. He was just there. And he knew I had that intrinsic uh, motor, if you will. Um, and my mother, she pushed me, but um, it was always with love. And so she embraced what she thought was going to be a son working in the United States Senate and going to law school, probably uh, with having an 18 year career in the NFL, where I happened to still be able to work half my off seasons in Washington as a legislative aide, as uh, an aide to, uh, let's see, um, Elizabeth Dole when she was Secretary of Transportation in 1983, working on wow. a, a, um, shipping deregulation, uh, um, working as a, an aide in the Office of National Service for WHW and Clinton, or working in drug abuse policy at the time when um, the uh, drug issue in this country uh, was, uh, with crack cocaine, was becoming very serious. And, and I was very uh, interested in looking at the dichotomy between punishment, 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 and treatment, and where there is a compassionate solution that holds people accountable, but also uh, doesn't create a generation of people that really are just misguided uh, briefly. So, Now, when we started the podcast, you mentioned that we're at war. We uh, are. There's a lot of, there's a fear element to that. Yes, there is. Um, what advice can you give to our listeners in terms of handling fear on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's internal or the fear from when they turn on the TV or YouTube and all this stuff is coming at them about yeah. the war that we're in? Well, How do you overcome that? How do you number one, the one, number one thing is I was a kicker in the NFL for 18 years. I was most accurate kicker, and I was not initially – that good. I was cut and rejected by eight teams 11 times. And so there was the original fear that I had to overcome of being rejected, that that was going to be the end of my dream. And then realize, well, the rejection is only a no temporarily. It's just one more chapter and one more um, challenge, one more lesson to learn. And so after two years, I went from being rejected to beating out the greatest kicker in the history of the game and breaking all of his records, John Stenerud, who'd been their Super Bowl champion. He was 67% lifetime. I was 80%. I finished with the most field goals, the, the longest field goals in Chiefs history. He still had the longest field goal in NFL history in the first quarter. Um, all those wonderful records. And that required getting over that fear. So um, as um, FDR's wife would say, um, it's really the challenge to do the things we fear most that help us grow the most. So um, the more that you look at making as many mistakes as you can, as fast as you can, not intentionally, but just allowing yourself to do that, whether it's learning a language, which is one of my mentors, um, John Rassius, when you ask about mentors, John Rassius method, which is the number one, it's the only method that teaches all the Peace Corps volunteers all over the world, 350,000 plus since 1962, taught 42 languages in three weeks to go to anywhere in the world and have an impact for two years. Um, 42 languages, 360,000 people all learning it through one method. And that method turns the old paradigm of language learning on its head. It's you speak more in one class, your very first class than you would normally in an entire semester. And so what happens in those first few weeks of classes? You make a million mistakes, 
But then you begin to realize that's how I'm going to learn faster. And I ended up learning French a lot faster. I wouldn't say I'm here we are all, all these years later, completely fluent. But in eight weeks, I was able to go and live with a French family. And, um, you know, uh, and that attitude of learning, you step back and think, well, it's language, but it's also communication. So fear is the ability to communicate, A, and the conversation with ourselves, and B, our interactions with everyone around us, managing our own expectations, and most importantly, fear is worrying about things we can't control. So the only person we can control, the only one, is ourselves. ourselves. And when we get clear about that, it transforms everything. So if you want to use the field goal analogy, I love to use it. I'm running on the field, and I, I had a moment of clarity because you make it, and then there's another level, another fear, which is what if this was just a one-hit wonder, one year of great kicking, and then I'll go back to all those rejections. So you have to challenge yourself. But I'm running on the field realizing that that if I drew a circle or a square from where the ball was going to be kicked back to where I was beginning my approach and in between where the um, you know my approach to the ball, that's my office. I have to control and only can control that. I can't control the referees. I can't control the holder. I can anticipate the person catching the ball in the snap, but I just have to control this and this, the attitude. I can't control the people screaming. I can't control 20 feet away. Uh, 11 people paid millions of dollars to block my kick. So it became more and more clear to me if I confidently not uh, try to kill the ball, but attack the ball, as focused as I can with as clear an idea of the target, then I will be even more successful. So um, Aisha, as an example, in um, I became most accurate kicker in NFL history in 1984 at 76.4%. The previous record was 72%. And then uh, when I realized that, as I was being told I was going to be getting older and worse, uh, in my 10th season, I led the NFL in scoring, and from that point on in the 90s, I kicked at 87% for the next three seasons. I had 24 in a row, 21 in a row. I was 22 for 24 the next year, Pro Bowl every year, or all pro every year. And um, it was because I simplified those fears into what my power was, which is to focus on what I can control. And obviously, preparation is a big part of that. So there's a very long-winded answer to your question. I was going to ask you, what strategies have you used to go from one level to the next? Because sometimes we get stuck and, and we forget to raise the bar to go to the next target. Well, um, you know, I think it's a very important balance um, because we have to enjoy the moment and live in the moment and not be a prisoner to achieving and then not giving ourselves a chance to embrace the the gratitude and the joy of the moment of achievement, but also to keep challenging ourselves to grow. Well, once again, how are we growing? If we're growing in awareness and consciousness and spiritually growing, then the other things will have natural balance and um, proportion. Agreed. So that's a big part of it because uh, we know in weightlifting, for instance, we will hit plateaus. So we have to be more imaginative. I believe very strongly that creativity uh, is a very broad notion of creativity. If we grow in terms of our creative expression, it's right with, connected to, tangential to our 
spiritual uh, self. And so when we stimulate our creativity, we grow um, spiritually as well or vice versa. And creativity then opens up new doorways to look at things, to have a perspective on them from a different branch on our, our growth tree, if you will. And creativity also literally, by definition, creates new opportunities as well. It may also uh, connect us to other people like here I am connected to you. Why? Because you and I connected through, I think, Bill Walsh and uh, some other folks. And, uh, you know, we were creative in that social sense of meeting people, sticking out our hand, listening to what they had to say having that funny thing called a real conversation, which is a disappearing act these days. Um, so I, I look at creativity as unique to all of us. It's not necessarily poetry or painting or sculpture or singing or music. It is whatever stimulates that creative faucet that you see on the side of a house. You see if that is coming out of this essence in your heart and maybe those 40,000 specialized cells uh, that uh, God created in our heart that have to do with uh, much more than just the brain and the intellectual side, but how it felt. And that's a big part of this alignment. The alignment is, once again, our control is our alignment of our head, our intellectual side, creative side, with the spiritual side, this heart, these 40,000 specialized cells, because that can hold us back to a trauma of the great pain that was caused when we were, who knows, two years old, one year old. Correct. That so old. many people hold on to. They hold on to, right? They We hold on to it. And so it's holding us back. And so um, by doing that work here with the heart too, and seeing if those two can get aligned, suddenly we create new pathways, bridges around, through, and over those traumas to the growth that's ahead. And once again, to me, I'll just speak for myself. It is asking that question with more discipline, which is, you know, God, what do you want for me? What do you want for me? How can I serve you? How can I have you uh, work through me? We watched um, Patrick Mahomes in this, the Super Bowl talk yes. about his faith and how that's made a difference. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to know that you're created and you have a life that that may end at death or may not, but it's a gift. And seeing that helps us keep things in perspective and appreciate the moments more. So there you go. Fantastic words of wisdom. Um, can you talk about some of the uh, philanthropic projects you're working on these days, what we can expect from you? Well, the most important one I do occasionally, and I'm actually talking this week to perhaps do a leadership training for the 21st year, called Nation Building for Native Youth, which I developed at Harvard um, with a tribe in Oklahoma. But the main focus of my foundation, which was recognized at the Super Bowl at Lee Steinberg's party this year, uh, right near my house, by the way, here in, in Scottsdale, Correct. the Super Bowl was here, uh, is called Champions for the Homeless. Uh, there has been an exponential uh, growth in the homeless, especially the elderly homeless and the pediatric homeless, the, uh, the child homeless. And these are vulnerable populations. And uh, a judge just uh, this week in the last couple of days ruled that they have to clear out this village of tents, a tent city of homeless people. Well, a very great percentage of those people, contrary to the rather limited coverage of the media these days on virtually anything with complexity, 
to be truthful. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and, and, and part of that is they just don't have money and they don't have resources and that makes it much harder. But a great many <laughs> of the homeless are not severely mentally ill and do not have severe um, substance issues. Many have minor degrees of that. But if you and I were on the street for a few months, Aisha, I have a feeling we'd be kind of what I would call situationally mentally ill. We'd, we'd have had a lot of uh, assaults to our senses, to our bodies, to, you know, living with very little shelter. So that's a challenge. And I'm hoping to work. I'm going to probably be going on television here in Phoenix next week to talk about it, because when a judge rules, because it's the law, the judge rules a certain way that we have to clear out these homeless, which, by the way, is not really in a residential area. What do they think is hap- going to happen? Unfortunately, a lot of judges do not understand the con- to look into and have a responsibility to look at the way that their ruling is made such that the unintended consequences, which we hear that phrase a lot now, unintended, I didn't mean to do it. And now we're going to have more homeless spread out. And frankly, you're going to see them in neighborhoods where you didn't see them before because they have nowhere to go. And St. Vincent de Paul that I work with, it's wonderful. We put a human face on the homeless and uh, we'll have our 62nd Champions for the Homeless. We do it on Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. This past year, we did it on July 25th and September 25th in the summer when it's particularly hot here in phoenix and by putting a human face on the homeless guess what happens it's amazing when we look at people as people when we look at people as human beings it's amazing how much deeper we see and it echoes them within us which maybe speaking of fear we're afraid of because oh my gosh i couldn't be like that homeless person but there but for the grace of god go us as well i mean a huge portion of the population that loses their job and has a severe uh, medical issue, find themselves within a month, two months, homeless. Right. That's our world today. So I've met so many wonderful people that with just unconditional love, even if they do have some mental illness, even if they do have drug addictions uh, or drinking issues, uh, who doesn't deserve love? We all do. How can our listeners support you in your endeavors? Well, thank you. Um, If you go to www.nicklowry, N-I-C-K-L-O-W-E-R-Y. If you can put that on, I love it, uh, nicklowry.org or nicklowry.com. You can donate there. You can see lots of videos uh, that's been covered on Arizona Family Television, on CBS, and Good Morning Arizona, on Fox Television, on NBC, on ABC. We did, did a nice feature on us. Three years ago, we made uh, Phoenix the first city in the country to provide free COVID testing for the homeless. And uh, so uh, go there, see what we do, see if you'd like to donate and uh, perhaps join us. It'll be uh, 930 on Easter Sunday. It's deliberately on those days, on Christmas, on Thanksgiving, on Easter, because we want the people that feel the most lonely, the most uh, most forgotten to know that they're not forgotten. And I guarantee you that when you drive home or walk home, whatever it is from the event, when you're going home on at you know maybe 12 31 o'clock on christmas day or thanksgiving or easter you're going to feel like that's what easter should feel like it's about rebirth it's about redemption it's about new life that's what thanksgiving should feel like it's about being grateful and doing something about it not just you know shoving turkey down our 
our mouths and watching, uh, frankly, watching a lot of football. Um, not that everybody does that, you know, and, and same thing with Christmas. I mean, the beauty of Christmas to me is the birth of the king of unconditional love. And what is what is more unconditional love than being there and embracing people that you have nothing initially in common with and letting them know, I see you, I hear you, I embrace you. Tell me your story. Wow, we all want to be heard. Wonderful miracles. That's really profound. We all want to be heard. I love that. Now, you've transformed so many lives throughout your career. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Oh, wow. I I don't know. I mean, I I just... (laughs) You know, I think how lucky I've been. I grew up next door to Justice Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, not of Arizona, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Byron Wizard White, who was best friends with Bobby and John Kennedy, became number two um, at the Justice Department, but happened a little earlier while he was a Rhodes Scholar and then at Yale Law School to lead the National Football League in rushing with Detroit, with the Detroit Lions, and before that with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, three years in the league, twice leading the league in rushing, and then happening to finish number one at Yale Law School. And that was my next door neighbor. And uh, he, you know, here he was in a time of such racial sensitivity. Here's a man, an, a Caucasian man who, uh, working as chief of the U.S. Marshals, commandeered the school buses that protected the Marshals going into Selma, Alabama, so they might uh, be spared, you know, violence. Um, and then, 16 years ago, maybe even longer, 16, 2000, yeah, I think 16 years ago, 16, 17 years ago, a man named Muhammad Ali moved two doors down from me. And so I got to know him really quite well. I was, you know, he has Parkinson's and was the last non-family member at his 74th birthday party in his home in Cheney Estates, where we both lived then. And I got to witness one of Earth's angels. And uh, that's uh, probably for another podcast, but I've been very passionate, Aisha, that the more we surround ourselves with people that raise our game, the more we naturally do. I say that all the time. We have to make those hard choices. Tim Story is one of the great speakers on the planet, talks about that. You know, we have to let go of people that are pulling us down. Uh, The way I look at it is if we're worried that we're being uh, inhumane, then the better analogy perhaps is that we leave the door ajar. We close the door, but it's ajar. And we then leave them alone. And the jar, the door can be uh, pushed open again by a serious, consistent change in their behavior and their values. Uh, but we have to leave those people that suck our energy. Some people call them energy vampires. We have to leave those people behind and just magnetize ourselves to people that bring out our best that we can learn from and hopefully they can learn from us and then we have a synergy a natural growth environment you know sort of like putting great um fertilizer uh but this is good shit so to speak um i know i'm using a bad word but uh (laughs) you know that makes such a difference right because you learn more and tony robbins i've gotten to know tony robbins over the years i was on his infomercial for 12 years way back from 1991 to 2003, and um, you know, one of his things is surrounding ourselves uh, with people that we learn from. I mean, that's that's a big deal. Fantastic. Now we just have um, time for one more question, but yeah. I'm going to keep it open. Is there any advice that 
you'd want to give to our listeners as your last words before we wrap it up? Um, well, uh, I'm going to give you two of my favorite quotes. One you've heard many times, but never give up. Never give up. It's not a loss. If you don't give up, it's a learning chapter in your life. Never, 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 never give up. That's the first thing. And the second thing is something I wrote way back in 1991. And it goes like this. It's not the brightness of the spotlight on you. It's the intensity of the power and the beauty within you that is the ultimate measure of a human being. Fantastic. And you just put a smile on my face and all my listeners' faces with that last words that you just said. Thank you. My, Thank my honor. My honor as well, Nick. Thank you so, so much. And I look forward to having you back again on the show. We love, I love to. And uh, thanks, everybody out there. Find somebody. If we help one person every day, just one person, see what a difference that makes. Fantastic. Thank you for tuning in. See you next time. And don't forget, like and subscribe to the channel.